Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we're hoping and trusting that you all had a nice and a peaceful weekend. I, I take it that a lot of people were like me. I seem to spend the whole weekend thinking of young Ashleen Murphy and thinking of her family and what her family must have been uh, going through. And I know from when I went home on Friday, I lit a candle, you know, as we were asked to do, to light candles sort of um, around four o'clock, which is around the time that Ashley passed away on, uh, was murdered on uh, Wednesday. And I literally had candles lighting all weekend for her and thinking of her and thinking what a great loss to this country Ashley is, because the more we hear about this young teacher so full of life so talented so much uh, to offer and and I was thinking of her and more than anything I was thinking of her family her parents her brother her sister and her boyfriend of five years and what how what they were going through at the weekend and then to see photographs and I uh, saw a little clip on the news of the family uh, going to visit the scene where Ashton was murdered on a Wednesday, I have to say, made me cry. I literally was in was in tears uh, watching them. They were accompanied, obviously, by the Gardaí, her parents, Kathleen and Ray. Her brother's name is Cahill, her sister is Amy and her boyfriend, Ryan. They were brought yesterday to the Grand Canal Way in uh, Tullamore and they walked to the very spot where the 23-year-old teacher was killed in broad daylight last uh, Wednesday. They seemingly spent a few minutes together before coming back up the pathway and then being driven away again. And yesterday actually was the first time that they were actually able to stand at the scene where their daughter and sister and girlfriend's life had been taken. Now, they had been there on Thursday, the day after, but they, because they had attended one of the local vigils and there had been a vigil at the canal on Thursday but they were on the opposite side of the canal bank because obviously it was still all cordoned off with the and it actually still is cordoned off with the Gardaí and the forensics uh, team are involved and so when I saw the family just heartbreaking uh, to watch it and trying to think what was going through their minds but I think the mark of the family really came out at the weekend when seemingly it was on Saturday that the family realised they had so many local people had come to their house with food, you know, with trays of sandwiches and lasagnas and quiches and baked apple tarts and made cakes and 
you know, as we do, we're, we're really good to do that in, in many areas. And it was interesting, I was reading on a paper, one of the newspapers over the weekend, that they had to explain that it doesn't happen in every area. I thought every part of the country that that was something that happened if there's a death locally, the neighbours and the friends and will all gather around and send in as much food as they can into the household so that the grieving family don't have to think about, do we need to go to the shop? What am I going to have? I need to have something to eat. People are calling. Is there any food for the people that are calling. So that's where the local community rally around and that's exactly obviously what has happened in Offaly for the Murphy family but they realised on Saturday that way too much food had been handed in for themselves and even for the people who would be calling and they didn't want the food to go to waste so they contacted a local charity that helps out needy families in the area on Saturday and said look we've a lot of food would it be of any use to you and obviously the charity were thrilled to hear from them and they sent a volunteer over and they filled up the volunteer's car and then that food was distributed locally and I just when I heard about it I just thought isn't that the mark of the family that even in all of their grief they realise there's too much food here it's going to go to waste there's got to be families and people and people that can who need this food and can use this food and you know it made me reflect on the type of family that Ashling grew up in if in their moment of grief that they could do an act of kindness like that and that's and that would have that type of love and kindness and generosity that she would have been raised with explained the way Ashleen had turned out as this wonderful uh, young teacher. They just seemed like an incredible uh, family. And I know the parish priest at the church where uh, Ashleen's funeral is going to take place uh, tomorrow was speaking at the Sunday Mass yesterday and he said everyone has been challenged by the tragic events of her death and he used his homily at yesterday's Mass in St Bridget's Church. It's in the small village of uh, Mount Mount Bolus, I think it's pronounced Mount Bolus in County Offaly. Father Michael Mead said we're all challenged by our own attitudes and we're challenged in the way we practice what we call respect to one another. And he went on to say in modern times we've perhaps sidelined faith and religion and belief to tragic events. And he said the real challenge is not just to practice goodness when tragedy comes. He said the real test is to practice goodness when tragedy doesn't strike. He said to practice goodness every day we live. To practice goodness in what we do and in what we say. And he said, you know, we're, we're challenged to make those uh, changes. And actually, that ties in with a really lovely email that I've received in from one of our listeners who just literally just wants it signed as a concerned uh, listener who says, Dear Patricia, a group of us men and women meet as usual after Mass on Saturday for a coffee in local hostelry. Needless to say, the devastation of Ashleen Murphy's murder was our sole conversation on Saturday. May she rest in peace. There was no lecturing from anyone among us about what men should or should not do. And we did condemn those who had used social media to identify the original blameless suspect. One word, though, persisted right throughout our conversation. Respect. It is sadly too late for the grieving Murphy family. 
and it may not be possible always to foresee a deranged person in our midst. But it was felt that society is, for a start, being subjected to much too much disrespectful language, including disgusting terminology and the use of words beginning with F and C, these words being used all too often. It was felt that inclusion of this obnoxious language, often cropping up in television programmes and in films, was helping to make its use acceptable in everyday situations. Graphic portrayals of violence and disrespect in media productions, particularly towards women and the less able, were also going down the wrong road. Drink and drugs may be put up as a defence excuse, but a person should be held responsible for allowing this influence to build up in them. We men must now work harder to ensure that women regain their confidence to go about their business and and recreation without threat and without the feeling of a threat. We must go out of our way to become known in our community as a respectful and friendly face and call out those who practice the opposite. It would be nice to walk the roads again without seeing women crossing to the other side until they recognise us. And that's kind regards a concerned listener, a male listener, obviously, who's making the point that what's happened now, because we're all wearing masks, that when you are walking down the road and if a woman sees a man that they don't recognise because they're wearing a mask. They're not as easy to identify as they were before we started wearing uh, masks and the number of women that do that. But I thought the, a really good email. Thank you to the, to the listener uh, for that. But isn't it interesting to hear a man saying they want to be back at the time where a woman doesn't feel nervous and doesn't feel she has to cross the road because a nice, kind, caring man is walking towards her and all that that woman sees is the threat because it is a uh, male. Uh, and details of, uh, of Ashleen's funeral were released yesterday morning. It's going to take place at St. Bridget's Church 11am tomorrow morning in the burial afterwards in the Lower Town uh, Cemetery. And what really got me very upset when I thought about the family was her remains were brought back to the family home in the early hours of yesterday morning and they'll repose there until her funeral uh, tomorrow and seemingly there was a a large number of people gathered at the Murphy family home yesterday to pay their uh, respects to Ashley and to her family and seemingly the parents stood and spoke and had time to speak with everyone shared stories uh, about Ashley as well and the scene of the murder on the canal bank there is a collection of floral tributes and messages to uh, Ashley that continue continues to grow and seemingly yesterday fresh candles were lit by locals who are also coming along to pay their respects. So as I say it is tomorrow at 11 she will be laid uh, to rest. May she rest in peace. Ashleen Murphy. And a couple of people are pointing out when we're talking about uh, the tragic death of Ashleen Murphy. Let us not forget the elderly gentleman who was murdered in the Stunvarna a few weeks ago. A gentleman by the name of uh, Mr O'Neill. Uh, may they both rest in peace. Yeah, we have to try and end the, this violence that happens in uh, this country. And someone is making the point that when you look at Ashleen and all of her qualities and a young teacher and the great musician that she was, she should have been heading for the Rose of Tralee. You could have seen her on stage, couldn't you, all dressed up in the Rose of uh, Tralee. That's uh, a great point. And another list just wants to say, Trisha, could you just let people know that the phone scams are doing the rounds again? People need to be very careful when they're answering
using the phone, especially from a number that's not in your contact. You need to be very, very careful of who you are engaging with, either on the phone or by text or by email. Our phone number is 0818103103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now, thousands of people across three continents held vigils for murdered schoolteacher Ashley Murphy in revulsion at her killing and the ongoing violence against uh, women. On Saturday morning, crowds gathered at Cork's Atlantic Pond to pay tribute to the young teacher and to highlight the devastation caused by violence against women. Mary Crilly, Director of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork, once again joins me, uh, who attended that particular uh, vigil on Saturday. Good morning to you, Mary. Morning, morning, Patricia. Mary, uh, absolutely huge crowd on Saturday morning. Were you expecting that many to turn up? I was stunned. I was stunned because a lovely young woman, Susan from Murchison Road, had said she was organising a gathering out in the Atlantic Pond and would I come out and speak? And I said I would. And then, as it happened, I was kind of running a bit late because, you know, being honest, I was just a bit wrecked on Saturday morning and there for half nine. And then when I saw the traffic, it was like there was a match on down at Parky Keeve. And then when I got there... um, and I saw 5,000 people there just waiting for somebody to say something, waiting to grieve, waiting to get together and waiting just to show how much this meant to them, that it really mattered. I was really overwhelmed. You know, I had goosebumps, and that's been honest, and um, I was really overwhelmed by it because I think it is a tidal change. Um, I don't think it's a watershed, because we've had many of them, but I think the tide is turning. And I mean, I think finally the men are getting it and realising the difficulties women have in their life, whether it's not walking or whether it's kind of going home with somebody or the extent of sexual violence in this country. Um, I think they're just oblivious to it. I'm not saying they didn't care about it, but I think very often in society, the men are kind of excluded. You know, we might say, I'm not telling your father or, you know, as as I said to you before, some things I find heartbreaking is meeting a young girl who tells me she's a daddy's girl, but she's afraid to talk to him in case you look at her differently. So I think it is it, it change in culture we need and change in getting the men to look at and um organising them in a way that they can see it, that they can challenge things because like right now they're the only ones that can really make a difference. But to see so many men there and so many men at the one then in town at two o'clock that was organised at two o'clock in town, um, really gave me hope. And this morning yeah. I was talking to a young girl this morning in her twenties and I kind of felt a bit low after it because she kind of feels there's no hope. And I thought, my God, I still we still have work to do because I don't want young girls to feel there's, there's no hope because I think there is hope. I really do yeah. think there is hope. Yeah, well, I know my young niece, who would be the same age as uh, Ashling, went to one of the vigils and um, she was approached by a female afterwards who came over to herself and her friend and said, let this be a warning now to you young girls that you shouldn't be out walking alone. And my niece oh, was so, well, you know, because like this victim blaming has to stop. It totally has to stop and there's nothing to do with it. When are they going to get a grip and realise there's nothing to do with what you are, what you do, where you are. And the majority of men would not dream of doing this would not even enter their head to do this. And the minority that are doing it need to be confronted, challenged and you know, be held accountable because there's only a minority doing it. And I think women who really come out, that stupidity, um, I wish somebody would take them on and, and let them know really how ridiculous, how stupid that is, but how dangerous it is for people to use that talk because it is blaming the victim again. Yeah. 
And, and you know, as, as so many people pointed out with Ashley, and not that it even needs to be pointed out, she, you know, she wasn't in the wrong place at the, at the wrong time. It was the middle of the day. She was going for a run. It was broad daylight. It was a safe area. Not that she even needs, we need, even need to say that, that she even needs to think about that. No, she doesn't. And I mean, is there a wrong person? Like if there's a girl drinking and it happened, um, would she be blamed? And we might be looking at it slightly different. But I think even 20 years ago in Cork, do you remember Rachel Kiley was murdered yeah. in Ballancolic? And there was an outpouring, but nothing like what's happening now. So what's different is I think there's more awareness now than there was then. Um, but we do need a huge culture change. I mean, I know the Justice Department are bringing in a strategy. I don't know how many I've seen in my lifetime. And unfortunately, with best will in the world, strategies are often published and then that's the end of it. So it's up to us um, really to, as people who hate injustice, to decide we want change. And for the guys and the women who are permitting and tolerating this abuse and allowing it to continue to tell them their day day has come because we're not taking it anymore. And what do you say to, there are some men now, and I'm going to put them in the minority, who feel that the media coverage is men bashing. And because this isn't, this isn't all about men, because we know not all men engage in this violence, but unfortunately those that do engage are, are men. But what do you say to, them, to, to, to the men who feel that it's a bit of man bashing is going on? I just kind of say I'm sorry that you feel like that, but the reality is, one of five girls are raped in this country, and I'm just asking you for now to stand aside. You know what you're, you know if you feel hurt about things because the majority of men who are so strong and are so feel so good in their own skin don't feel a bit harmed by this. Don't feel a bit like we're pinpointing them. And I'm just asking the guys who you know maybe have the the handle kind of not all men, which does my head, and just for this, just stand aside because this is just too serious and it's absolutely nothing to do, and it's not women's fault majority of abuse is perpetrated by men. That's the reality, that's the statistics, that's the research, that's the fact. What did you make at the group in, I think were they in Limerick, the Men's Rosary, who refused to turn down their PA system and move across there was, there was a vigil being held and they turned up their PA system to drown out the women and, and men who were trying to talk at the vigil. Well, I think sometimes there are some categories of people or some types of people who you just, you know, just don't go there. You know, I just wouldn't spend my energy on them. Just leave it off. Just work with people who do want to make change and, you know, try and help the families and the young girls and the young men we see who are raped and abused and just work with them. Other than that, there are some people that there's just no point in going there. OK, you're dealing and working with the issue of violence against uh, women for, for nearly 40 years now, isn't it, Mary? Yeah, next year is 40 next years. Next year, 40. Yeah. What, what, how, how does it stop? How do we stop it? I think changes are happening. I mean, I think it's all to kind of recognising what violence against women is. I think we need to be as shocked by the 244 women who have been murdered since 1997 as we are about Ashling or as we were about Rachel. I think we need to be just as shocked by by the whole of them and not just, um, you know, pull them out. I can really understand how this one got to people because it was during the day. People could see themselves doing that. People run during the day. People go walking during the day. I could totally understand the way they identify with that. But we need to be just as shocked and angry and appalled when we come across other murders or other rapes or other forms of sexual violence. We need to be appalled when we see an elderly woman who is raped as we are appalled and angry and, and 
everything else and feel it's so totally wrong. We need to feel that same sense of anger and injustice when a young girl or a young boy is raped. That's what we need to do, you know, and not say, well, that victim, maybe she has something to do with it and just say, no, it's only a few men here doing this and we can really stop them if we stand up to them. Okay, you mentioned the Cabinet. They're back after their Christmas break this week and uh, they're expected to examine a a raft of tough new, I heard Helen McEntee say, like zero tolerance uh, measures uh, when it comes to gender-based violence and the centrepiece is is this new strategy. Can we take some hope from it? I think I take hope from everything. I think as a Minister for Justice, she does want to make change. I think she needs to look at her own party and the toxic masculinity that goes on the doll and then start from there. But, I mean, I have to live in hope because I have seen changes over the years and I want more changes. And I think the public there wants to do something and they all feel helpless about what they can do. And the more we keep conversing about it, the more we keep the conversation going, the more things change. Because the more things, maybe some young man won't be so quick to say that joke, to say that rape joke, to laugh about something. Because his friends might for once stand up and say, that's not wrong, we're not listening to that. So that's how we make changes. The smallest thing can change something really big. And the other thing I noticed on an awful lot on social media at the weekend of other women coming out and talking about something that happened to them maybe many years ago that they've never spoken about before. It's almost like they they were assaulted, they were abused and they were ashamed by it, so they just didn't share it with anybody. And I think it's that, and I think it's kind of even, you know, when you talk to young women who might be assaulted, and they might say, but it's part of life, it happens, and they're not going to tell anybody, or they know the person who did it, and they're not going to tell anybody. And I think the reality is that maybe only 10 or 15% of women ever come forward to a counselling centre, or even, you know, might even tell their family or friends. And I'm hoping that will change. You know, they mightn't tell the family because they might say, my mother is ill, I don't want to make things worse. Or even worse, it happened to my sister a number of years ago. And what can I say if it happened to me too, as if it was her fault? And I think it's awful when people have to carry this for their lifetime because the blame is put on them. So there's a lot of things need to be done, a lot of changes. And families need to be open to kind of listening to this kind of stuff and to let their daughters and sons know if anything happens to them, no matter what's going on in the household, they would like to know. They want to support them in whatever way they can. Okay, well said. Because they feel really helpless and they feel really awful. You know, maybe years later, um, if their daughter or son says, well, this happened when I was a child, they feel devastated. They feel so responsible and so guilty. And how did they not see it? So we all need to just talk about it like something that's really awful that happens. There's nothing to do with the victim. It's to do with some person out there that's doing it. Yeah, and just keep the conversation going and, and get Absolutely. the and get the emphasis back on the person who chooses to commit the violence. You know, it's, yeah, it's the killer's yeah. action here, not not the victim's. Uh, listen, Mary, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Okay. That is uh, Mary Crilly, Director of the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. Our lines are open at 0818 103 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy the insurance group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Community Law and Mediation is an independent community law centre and charity that's been providing free legal advice and mediation services in communities experiencing disadvantage and they've been doing it since 1975. Now while their law centres are based in Limerick and in Dublin, the service is available nationwide and joining me with details of what they offer is Rose Wall who is the CEO of Community Law and Mediation. Good morning to you, Rose. 
Good morning. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, can you start firstly, as it's our first time speaking with your organisation, by outlining how you came about and, and how, say, do you, how do you differ from, say, free legal advice centres? So we were actually set up by free legal advice centres in 1975 as part of a pilot community law centre in the campaign for civil legal aid. We were set up as this example to what the state could do if they set up a network of us around the country. Uh, because at the time there was no civil legal aid in Ireland. Um, so we kind of stuck around. We, we, we have our own uh, board management. And we do offer similar services to, to FAC. Um, but we're based on a community law centre model. So we're kind of rooted in communities. We provide outreach services. We collaborate with community and voluntary organisations. Community education is a really big part of our work, as well as the legal advice, legal representation and the law reform side. Okay, and then you launched uh, last year a a Centre for Environmental Justice. Can you explain to us what is environmental justice? Sure. Environmental justice, I suppose, is really the kind of intersection of environmental issues and social justice or equality issues. So what I mean by that is, how certain groups, because of where they live or where they can afford to live or their ability to cope with environmental issues like climate change or pollution, are more impacted by environmental harms, but also how certain communities have less access to what are called environmental benefits, so things like green space. We know that depending on where you live, you have more access to parks and trees than in other parts of the country. So it's really looking at how uh, certain communities are more at risk of climate change and pollution and have less benefits of the environment. Um, so what we're doing is providing legal advice and representation on environmental issues, but also providing training to community and voluntary groups in this area and looking at the area of law reform. So I suppose to boil that down, what, what that means to your, to your listener, I mean, if they're experiencing uh, something which is interfering with their ability to enjoy their environment, so whether that is you know, air pollution or water pollution or noise or dumping or flooding, or they live in a house that's substandard, which affects their ability to enjoy their environment and increases their energy costs, for example. They're all environmental justice issues, and they're all issues that we can advise on and provide representation on. So, so to give you an example, we're running a clinic next Wednesday, the 26th of January, and we do that by Zoom, uh, and, and uh, you can easily make an appointment by contacting our service. But the types of issues that have been coming in are things like, you know, where uh, individuals and communities are experiencing environmental problems, whether that's localised air pollution or water pollution or dumping or, or even noise, and nothing is being done about it, and they, they don't know where to go. Or more recently, we advised a family who are living uh, in North Dublin, uh, on the coast, and their home is at risk of being uh, washed into the sea, oh. at risk of flooding. And, and we know this is a problem all around the country, people who live on floodplains, people who live in coastal areas, and because of changing weather patterns, you know, flooding is, is more of a problem year after year, and, and these families can't get insurance, and, and what are their options legally, you know, uh, in relation to, you know, even things like mortgages, even in relation to, like, what happens if they need to be rehoused. So these are all things that we are trying to look at and advise people on and give people guidance on. So your belief, therefore, is that cost shouldn't be a deterrent for somebody accessing justice? Oh, not at all. And we and we know it is. I mean, let's be honest. We know that access to justice isn't available to everybody and that, you know, we have a legal aid scheme, a civil legal aid scheme, but that really only provides legal assistance in the area of family and criminal law and doesn't provide legal assistance in areas such as employment law, equality law, social welfare, 
uh, access to services and even on these environmental justice issues. And and what happens, you know, you know, your your average person who can't afford a legal team to push forward on these issues, they don't have access to justice. So I suppose that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to provide accessible and free legal services in this area. Well done, well done. And the when you say, I mean, you, as you say, you've been in operation since the, the mid-70s. Have the issues that you've campaigned on over the years, have they changed or in some ways are you still battling the same issues? Uh, both in that, I mean, some of the issues that we would have been involved in in the early days were around divorce. Um, and, and so obviously there's been a change in that area. But but we were always heavily involved, like from the 80s onwards, around issues of domestic violence. And we know, obviously, that violence against women is still a massive issue uh, in society. Uh, but, but similarly, housing issues and access to social welfare and access to adequate social welfare, they've always been issues that we have campaigned on and worked in. And, and as you know, they're not issues that have gone away and in some ways, sadly, have gotten worse. Um, now, there have been, there have been real... Uh, successes over the years, particularly around employment and equality issues, um, you know, in terms of the law and the structures. But I suppose one thing we see is like the, the laws changing are one thing, but people knowing about the mm. law and knowing how to access the law and then having the means to access it are quite a different thing. So, you know, there's no point in the law changing on its own because that's not enough to have an impact on people's lives. Because I was, I was on your website over the weekend, to, you know, in advance of you coming on uh, today. You have a great website, by the way. Um, education and informing communities about their rights. That's an important part of your work. Well, absolutely, because we come across, you know, individuals and families all the time who don't realise that the issue that they're experiencing is actually a legal issue and one that a solicitor or a lawyer can assist them on. So, for example, if they've been refused access to the social housing list or if they've been refused a social welfare payment, you know, that's not always... The first thing that, some, that comes to his mind isn't, oh, I should speak to a solicitor about this. Yeah. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't honour them at all to do that. But actually, it is a legal issue because, you know, those state bodies are governed by statute and they have to provide their services in a legal way. And if they don't, that is challengeable. And that's what we do all the time. We advise people and then we take on cases. You know, we go to court, we go to tribunals to challenge injustice. And I mentioned in the introduction, you're a charity. How are you funded? Uh, through a mixture of sources. So we've been around for over 45 years and it's always a challenge. Um, but it's a mixture of sources. So we get some grants and we do some fundraising. And then we also raise income, you know, through some of our courses. Or sometimes if we're successful in our cases, we get our costs. So it's always a mixed bag trying to get to the bottom line. And we're constantly trying to secure new funding. Uh, but we're still here, you know, 40, 40 plus years later. Well done, well done. And anyone listening, how do they contact your, your service? So you can go on the website, as you mentioned, which is just communitylawandmediation.com. Or you can contact our office on 01 7804. So it's 01-847-7804. Now we have a Limerick number two, but if you contact that Dublin number, uh, you'll, you'll get through to the appropriate service. Okay, and of course with Zoom and everything now, you can you can uh, do a lot, lot online with people. Well, do you know what? It's, it's one of the only silver linings really <laughs> in terms of our service. You know, like in lots of ways we've been impacted because we like to go out into communities and go to where communities are, so we haven't been able to do that. Uh, we did it in a trial way last year and we will, we will go back to that when we're allowed. 
So one of the great processes that we're advising people in Donegal and yeah. in Sligo and in Cork without having to leave, well, in my case, <laughs> my house, um, <laughs> you know, and, and it's great, but it, it brings the law to people in a way. And, and, and as well, you know, people who have kids and they're working, it's not always easy to make appointments. So it's, it. it's bringing That's the law it. to people in a really accessible way. So, so do contact us. And I'd say to people, you know, sometimes people aren't sure whether their issue is legal or they feel maybe a little bit intimidated by contacting a solicitor to talk about them. You know, we've been working in communities for over four years. There's nothing we haven't seen or heard. And if we're not the right service from you, for you, we'll signpost you somewhere else. But do just get in contact and we'll be able to give you some guidance from there. Well done. Well done. Continue good luck to you, Rose. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk Thank to us so today. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. That is Rose Wall, who is CEO of Community Law and Mediation. As I say, they do have an excellent website if you want to check out their website. And if you think in any way that they can be of use to you, please contact them. Sandra has been on, uh, is wondering, are other parents who've got a son or daughter in Leaving Cert, how are their son or daughters coping at the moment? Sandra said her daughter is very stressed out about the idea of doing the Leaving Cert. She feels she's missed out on a lot of her education and doesn't like the idea of only having the option of a written exam. And Sandra is wondering, do we think there's going to be any hopes of a hybrid state exam model being used this year? I don't know at this stage, but I don't think it's off the table yet, Sandra, is all that I can say. But it's very difficult, you know, for young people. They're getting closer to to the exams and you know anyone that's ever gone through any of us who did our leaving search ourselves or sons or daughters who did their leaving search will know that it can be a very stressful time in the lead up to it and the only thing I will say is your daughter is not on her own because I was only reading this morning that there was an online survey carried out by the Irish Second Level Students Union and they found that 68% of this year's leaving search so that would include your daughter they want the hybrid state exam model at this this uh, year. Uh, The current plan from the Department of Education is that the Leaving Cert exam will return to their pre-pandemic format. At the beginning of the academic year it was announced that adjustments have been made to the exam papers and in the curriculum to provide for the fact that this year's exam, they missed out on a lot of school last year when they were in fifth year. Remember this time last year schools were closed from January through to the middle of uh, March. Well they were learning from home teachers will say they wasn't closed. They were learning from home but they they wouldn't have had the traditional in class facing the uh, teacher. So they're saying that the leaving cert this year there's going to be more exam choices on the exam paper there's going to be more choices for the Irish orals uh, for example now last year's leaving cert class they did have the hybrid that was available to the class of uh, 2021 where the students they could either go for the accredited grades, then they also had the option of sitting the exam and then they were awarded the highest grade, whichever option, that whichever came out. If their written exam was higher, then they got that mark. If their accredited grade was higher, they got that instead. Now, I did hear the Taoiseach Micheál Martin at the weekend say that the option of offering a hybrid leaving cert he says it's not fully ruled out and he reckons the decision is going to be made in the coming weeks because I did hear the argument was being put forward that because this Leaving Cert class some of them didn't sit a junior cert those that say skip transition year because there wasn't a junior cert back in 2020 so that class wouldn't have sat a junior cert and I know to do the accredited grades they look back on the junior cert results is part of the uh, algorithm that they use in deciding what the points or what the results are going 
going to be so they would have a little bit of a problem but then I heard from another expert in education saying they could work around that and they just need to change the algorithm so at the moment it's the traditional leaving search but as I say the Taoiseach Micheál Martin said the offer of a hybrid hasn't been ruled out yet I don't know if that's going to give any comfort to your daughter Sandra hopefully it will OK we need to take a break we have news at 11 on the way in the next hour we're going to be speaking with uh, adopted people and why they're not completely happy with the new law which is giving them access to their birth records that and more coming up after news at 11 Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie you're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are currently closed I've just uh, spotted that the teachers unions are asking all schools across the country this is both primary and secondary schools to take part in a minute silence tomorrow morning at 11am which is the exact time of the start of the funeral mass for Ashleen Murphy so I'm assuming all schools will pick up on that it's just been issued from uh, the ASDI or involved the INTO uh, FORSA and the TUI and just urging schools and colleges to join in what they see is just a tribute, uh, you know, bearing in mind that Ashton was a uh, teacher. And actually, thank you to John for this to say that this Wednesday, Castle Martyr Camogie Club, this is with the cooperation of the Castle Martyr GAA, the first lap of the Castle Martyr lights up, you know, the Operation Transformation Walk that they hold every week at their uh, pitch. The first lap is going to be in memory of young Ashleen with a minute silence at the end of the lap and they're asking people who are taking part in that walk uh, to please bring, if you've got your phone with you, you can turn on the light on your phone. If you want to bring a battery operated candle with you and they're asking people to meet at 10 to 7 on Wednesday at uh, sign-in tables. There'll also be a book of condolences that will be open for the community to sign. So thank you for that, John. The cinema taking part in the Castle Martyr lights up the Operation Transformation Walk this uh, Wednesday. And then a lot of people are on to us just talking about the nervousness and about how feeling, you know, that they feel nervous when they go out and uh, about. Uh, for my listeners, says Patricia, first of all, I want to say that what happened to that young woman the other day is just simply awful. Myself and my family went through something similar a few years ago and it's very hard to fi- find peace. Uh, that's, that's a tough thing. My condolences to you. Uh, but Patricia, I'd like to add that the male population, the majority of the male population are not like now this is what this listener said are not like that animal who killed that woman and some people I know will take umbrage to even classing uh, that person as an animal but but yes unfortunately Ashley met great evil last uh, Wednesday the family said I walk around my local area often but I've not walked since uh, a few days ago since this happened it would make me uneasy says a Moy listener and there's a couple of others making the same point but then Elaine in Blackpool uh, contacted us uh, and this is her experience of walking um, one evening in Blackpool When I saw this guy he was just, there was just something about him I, I could be wrong with the guy and I'll stand corrected if I ever meet him in the afterlife but I, there was just something made me very uneasy about him I hung back on the footpath and I was hoping somebody might be going up and th- there wasn't anybody and I saw these two guys coming along th- I said they were in their mid-twenties and there was nothing threatening about them at all so I asked them would they mind hanging, uh, hanging on until I went round the corner I said look this guy is making me a bit uneasy would you mind hanging on as I go up there and go round the corner and they, they were fine with it but I felt a bit of a fool alright you know 
But since I haven't gone out without this thing, it's on my checklist. Like, I check that the taps are off, the windows are off, the windows are closed, and the alarm is in my pocket before I go out. And when I'm walking, I put, the, put my wrist to the little strap and I keep it in my hand. And if anything unfortunate looks as though it's happening, just pull it, pulled out the little thing. And they, they're very price. You can get them from about 12 quid upwards. I say, Google them, personal alarm, and you'll get them in a host of places. Okay, and then Elaine uh, actually played down the phone to John Paul the panic alarm sound that she carries. And this is just might be a suggestion to others. Just so nervous about going going uh, out and about. What would you bring with you? So she has this, and I have a picture of it. It's around plastic item. Uh, it looks like a fob for a key. You know, the fob key to open your car. That's what it looks like. It's on a strap so you can put that around your wrist so you can literally walk around have it in your hand. It's got a large button on it and then if Elaine feels spooked in any way she presses it and this is what happens. Why is that the sound? No, come on, sorry. This is what happens. Okay, so it sounds and obviously it's much louder if you're out in public anywhere near Elaine and she gets a bit panicky or somebody is threatening her. Yeah, certainly. And it's much louder, obviously. We've toned down the sound. Uh, So that's something that people might consider getting a personal handheld alarm, even though we're back to why should anyone, females or males, have to do that. But unfortunately, with with the violence that's out there, that's the way society has uh, gone. 0818103103 on a lighter and better news and good news story. We had a winner on Saturday night of the lottery jackpot over 19 million euro. And it has now been confirmed that the winning ticket was sold in Castle Bar because a lot of the papers this morning were saying that they weren't quite sure they were waiting for the National Lottery to reveal what town it was actually sold in and there was towns all over Castle Bar at the weekend claiming they had sold the winning ticket. So it's Castle Bar is where the winning ticket was uh, sold and of course we've had this lotto jackpot which has been capped since June of last year and one person and one person only. Now there could be part of a syndicate we don't know yet because the winner hasn't come forward but it was just one ticket matched all six numbers 2, 9, 16, 30, 37, 4 with the bonus ball being 23. So the person who had 2, 9, 16, 30, 37 and 40 from Castlebar are going through Castlebar and County Mayor to do their lotto. They have won 19.06 million uh, euro. And of course, if that ticket had not been played, the number instead then would have flowed down to the next highest tier. And the next highest tier was match five plus the bonus. Now, there was a huge number of people played Lotto, obviously, because of this must-win jackpot on Saturday night. Would you believe there was 149 people who matched five and the bonus, which is incredible. And they have a share of 5.5 million and that's higher than normal and that's due, I think, to the amount of people that were playing on Saturday night. So they've each picked picked up 36,687, which is the sum of money not to be sneezed uh, at. And the National Lottery themselves are saying that Saturday night's draw was, incre- was an incredibly exciting event. And they say that it's seen players in every county in Ireland win big in the draw so the 149 winners are obviously spread all over the country they're still waiting to hear 
from the winner who purchased the ticket in Castle Bar and they're urging obviously anyone who won any of those big prizes to make contact with the National Lottery. They have a free phone number. Uh, it'd be lovely to think that somebody listening has won that just almost €37,000. 1-800-666-222 or you can email claims at lottery.ie but people with, who won big need to make contact so that they can organise for their money to be paid and that's going to be because it made history that jackpot of 19 point a million that will never happen again now because they have they now have the mechanism in place which allows them to have this will be one event and we spoke with Fran Weirty spokesperson for the National Lottery on Friday when he was explaining what was going to happen on Saturday night and he was explaining that from now on it is after five draws if there isn't a jackpot winner then we will move to this win will be one event instead. So the sixth one then, if it's not one after the six numbers, it'll go down to five plus the bonus or five on its own and all the way down until the, the jackpot is gone. So we'll never again have a jackpot that size of over 19 million euro. And of course, the debate then has broadened out because I know it was Bernard Durkin, the Fine Gael TD, uh, Bernard Durkin, who spoke with us actually on the programme. He was one of the first who was calling in the lottery people about the fact that the jackpot hadn't been won for so many weeks and for months at that stage this was last year and he was saying what can be done about it and you know the powers that be at the National Lottery said look we need the regulator to move and to tell us that we can have this must be one jackpot instead which obviously the regulator finally did but Bernard Durkin is wondering should the regulator look further at the issue of lotto jackpots and he's wondering would it be better to have 20 winners of a million each rather than one winner of the almost 20 million on Saturday night. Now, obviously, the person in Castle Bar, if I was talking to that person, they would say, would you go, hey, I've got my my nearly 20 million. I don't want to share that with anyone. But would people have a better interest? Bernard Durkin reckons that people might be more attracted to playing the game and investing in the national lottery if there was a system whereby rather than one person or one syndicate winning a huge sum of money, that if it ever got to, even if if it ever got to 19 million, which obviously it won't if they can't have the rollover jackpots, but even if it say it got to 10 million, that they would have 10 winners. Now, how you would do that, I don't quite know. But Bernard reckons that that's something that should be looked at. But I'm interested in people's thoughts. Is is almost 20 million too much? There's always that argument, isn't it? When you haven't won it yourself, it's too much for any one person. But would people prefer, rather than one winner of 20 million, that you'd have 20 winners each winning a million each? Your thoughts welcomed on that to 0818 103 103. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The Jameson Distillery there in Middleton, they're looking for brand ambassadors. It's to work within their visitor centre. Now, the job will entail uh, tour guiding, whiskey tasting, e-commerce, etc. You can find out more and apply through a link that's on the C103 website. Carpet and upholstery cleaner is required for Chem Dry. It's a franchise in Cork. CVs, please, too. Tam Mab, T A N M A B at hotmail.com. Alps and Milstreet, they're looking for general operatives at the moment. Application forms are available from info at alps.ie or call 029. 30677. And construction workers wanted for a construction project in Mitchellstown. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. 
You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And someone is making the point when I played out that personal alarm from Susan when she's uh, walking out and about and Susan was saying if you Google them online they're very easy to purchase online. Somebody says I think shops should be selling those personal alarms instead of antigen tests. Uh, They would be much more important. That's text to 0862103103. Now publishing the birth information and tracing bill uh, last week, the Minister for children, Roderick O'Gorman said that for decades in this country, adopted people have been failed in being denied clear access to their identity information. But adoptees have expressed serious disappointment with the long anticipated legislation. And joining me from the Adoption Rights Alliance is uh, Susan Lowen. Good morning to you, Susan. Good morning, Trisha. And how are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, the Minister said the bill will provide adopted people to full and complete information. Mm. What parts of the bill are you and other adopted people most disappointed with? Well, the full and complete is is a complete spin and misnomer because instead of giving us what we've, our our mantra has always been, give us our file, our whole file and nothing but our file. So instead of that, we're going to have social workers going into our files, slicing and dicing the data um, and and very... uh, importantly, missing out data or narrative that can't be shoehorned into the headline of birth information or early life information or care information. And as a result, we are not going to have our full histories. And and worst of all, uh, the, this new bill, without actually setting out the, re- the conditions under which this would happen, actually allows um, social workers to dispense with giving us copies of our files and to actually just write us a statement of their interpretation of what's contained in our files. Now, that is censorship, and, and I think it's really, really sinister that the, the bill would allow for that because what's been absent from the whole history of forced adoption in Ireland is the truth. And Patricia, you'll recall the, the vast disappointment that uh, surrounded the publication of the report, the Commission's report into mother and baby homes. Mm. So tens of thousands of us were excluded from that report because we weren't born in um, a mother and baby home or we weren't born in one of the county homes that they surveyed. So already, uh, as I said, tens of thousands of adopted people are feeling overlooked, excluded, um, irrelevant. And then this bill, you know, adds, adds, fuel, adds fuel to that fire. And what is the reason given for not just simply handing over your five? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think I'd be a wealthy woman if I knew that. You know, throughout the, throughout the two decades that I've worked on this issue, um, myself and my colleagues, you know, Claire McGetrick, um, Maeve O'Rourke in the... Um, Plan Project, uh, Mary Steed in, in, in the States, you know, we've always said that this is about deny till we die because this is a time-limited problem for the government. So the fewer, the fewer true narratives that get out there, the fewer um, children, former children and mothers who get together to compare notes, it, it suits the, it suits the, the government um, 
well, the, the Ireland's reputation abroad for starters. But in fact, nobody is buying into this strategy of theirs. The UN has already expressed huge disquiet um, at what's happening with this bill and what happened with the Commission of Investigations report. And as you know, before Christmas, several women took... Um, but they represented mothers, the likes of Philomena Lee, um, or former children who were detained in a, a mother and baby home, such as Mary Harney. They took judicial review proceedings against the Commission's findings, and they were totally vindicated in court. So there were about, um, I think, 12 women in total who who planned to take the Commission um, report for for judicial review, and in the end, the government um, settled, as it were. There were no damages paid, but they agreed that the commission's report did not pass muster. And on the the section with the the no contact preference yes. for the a birth mother, yeah. is there a feeling that the privacy of the birth mother is higher than the rights of the adopted person? Yeah. You know, you would think that you would think that the Irish, the current government, that you know that that they're you know they're 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 uh, you know beating their chests in sympathy with with natural mothers. Of course, they have no, no Irish government has ever had any respect for such mothers' privacy because they rode roughshod over them um, in the fifties, sixties, and seventies when so many of us were taken for forced adoption. And what I'm, I'm constantly surprised that. Um, some of the more uh, wily legal brains in the country haven't taken on the government on this very point. Because if a privacy right exists, it exists for everybody. So how come it's only adopted people who are being hauled in to participate in uh, an information session that's going to be delivered by a social worker? Now, Roderick O'Gorman was clapping himself on the back last week saying, well, yeah, it's no... no um, a face-to-face session is no longer required. You know, a meeting by Zoom will suffice. Well, well, actually, that's how the rest of the world has been transacting their business for the last two years anyhow. Yes, yeah. So it's the whole point that uh, a social worker will be in a position, and, and these social workers have um, exercised huge power over adopted people for many, many decades. Um, you know, I've... I, I mentioned last week in another interview that over the years, you know, I have been chastised by various social workers um, for saying that, you know, well, adopted people, they're such a, um, they're such a nuisance. They take up so much of their time and, um, you know, they have more important things to be doing like child protection because, of course, there was no dedicated service for adopted people searching for their origins and their identities. And, you know, that's borne out in the fact that both Kusla and the Adoption Authority of Ireland, that they operate waiting lists of between two to three years' duration. And all of this stems from the incredibly flawed premise that the the fundamental human right to know your identity, your origins, your culture, your history, um, somehow has to be conflated with tracing. Now, not every adopted person is going to want to trace their natural parent, especially if they're getting information for the very first time. That can take, you know, many years to, you know, settle with them before they may wish to go 
to go down the tracing route or they might never wish to do that. And the irony is that on the non-statutory contact preference register, which is currently administered by the Adoption Authority of Ireland, they have more registrations of no contact on the part of adopted people. That's and, interesting. And rather than rather than the the natural mother, pair, yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah. I didn't really, but, and, yeah. and for those that will want to trace uh, mm. those, Susan, will trust they be able to cope? No, they most certainly won't, because um, if if anybody you know for the the anoraks out there who want to look back, if you look back at the joint the rock this hearings, uh, which was the the committee um, on children and equality, which held pre-legislative scrutiny of this bill last summer. Um, Kusla and the uh, Adoption Authority of Ireland both admitted that they can't cope with current uh, demand, never mind what they might expect if this bill is enacted. And not only is it a question of resources, it is a question of skill set. Why on earth would we have social workers carrying out complex genealogical tracing and so many times I hear from adopted people, oh, the social worker told me she couldn't identify my mother, she couldn't trace my mother, um, and therefore she couldn't, she couldn't give me any of my birth information because she had to get permission from my mother. Now, there is no legislation which allows for that. You know, Patricia, uh, I, have, I have a son. My name, my husband's names, uh, name are on his birth cert. We have... You know, let's say we hid that from him. <laughs> let's say I, yeah. was, I was a mother who never revealed to my son who, who his father was. I have absolutely zero um, option to withhold that information from him. Birth certs are public records. And the irony is, is that the village gossip, maybe from whom, you know, some well-meaning um authorities wanted to, you know, hide the the issue of our illegitimate births as, as they were described back then. Um, the, the village gossip, she knows or he knows the woman that he, he or she suspects of having had the child before marriage. So that person can go into the general registrar's office and pull out the birth cert and go, oh, look at that. Mary Smith, yes, she had a baby before she was married in 1964. I knew it. Whereas I, if I was said Mary Smith's baby... You couldn't. I couldn't because I don't know Mary Smith's name and I don't Shocking. know my own name. Shocking. And when, when you're looking at this bill, does it, give you, does it give right to information about siblings? Oh gosh, that is so, that is so flawed. It, it's, it, it's, it's, it's both a scandal and an embarrassment. So the social workers will be um, allowed to tell you if you have a genetic relative. And on siblings, you'll only be told uh, the gender of your sibling and whether or not they are younger or older. Now that, but in order to establish those basic facts, the social worker will have wasted his or her own time going to the general registrar's office. The general registrar's office staff will have wasted their time looking up that information for said social worker. And all they will do is tell the poor, unfortunate adopted person, well, yeah, yeah, you have a brother and he's younger than you. That's dreadful. And then they, the adopted person, will then have to go to the general registrar's office and suddenly develop all of these skills to interrogate the records there. Of course, the general registrar's office 
does is not um it's not searchable the records are not searchable electronically the it's only the hard copy records which are searchable in some ways that's that's a plus though because um you know when those records were transferred to the electronic system there's always a risk of information being lost or corrupted yeah or, so yeah, transferred but, in, in, incorrectly and and I'm I'm afraid to even ask this what if the an adoption person has died yes. can their child or children get, yes. you know could, could I get the information say if well, my mother was adopted few, could I find out about my grandparents yes. That's one of the few welcome provisions of this bill, okay. because as we were always at pains at Adoption Rights Alliance to point out to Roderick O'Gorman and his all of his predecessors going back to Mary Hannifin, this is not this denial of identity and fundamental human rights to adopted people affects not just them but their children and all of the following generations. So um, it is. I welcome that. That. Um, where an adopted person to have died, their children will have full access to their rights as everybody else, uh, or sorry, to the as the adopted person themselves. But as I said, you know, the slicing and dicing of data, the ability, the choice of social workers, you know, not to have to bother copying records, but just to kind of write up a statement, that really makes me fear that they're going to develop a template and we know Kusla's record on, you know, using uh, cut and paste. There was a huge scandal um, in their offices about four years ago when they inadvertently used the wrong template in somebody's records. And uh, that person stood under suspicion of child abuse. Yeah, because they cut and paste the wrong thing onto yeah. his file. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there very much a feeling listening to you, Susan? That adopted people simply were not listened to when this bill was being put together. Yes, 100%. And that has always been the case. Um, I, I sat, well, I still sit as far as I'm aware, on a group of adopted people, natural parents, children who are people who were previously boarded out, called the Collaborative Forum. We were invited by Roderick O'Gorman's predecessor, Catherine's Pone, to... Uh, make an application to sit on this body and to advise her department of, you know, items or issues of concern, very nebulous. And she completely ignored everything we said to the extent that uh, she has never, she never published our report, which we produced on schedule to a very high standard um, and w- without being remunerated for it. So we did all of this pro bono, and it was never published. And O'Gorman just seems to have, you know, taken up some of the, the issues which we flagged in our report, which, of course, um, you know, the dogs on the street know about, and has just tinkered around the edges with the very flawed bill that his predecessor wrote. Um, and... You know, what I saw last week, you know, in his press conference, it was pure, unadulterated spin. And, you know, the fact that he is seeking, you know, to be congratulated, to maybe to be rewarded for for publishing this bill. But, you know, we must, we only need look back to 2001, when Ireland's very first Minister for Children, Mary Hannison, also published what she called a bill. It was called the Adoption Information and Tracing Bill. 
and in it she created a new crime that could only apply to adopted people and that was the crime of contacting oh, your remember, natural oh, parents yeah, without their express prior permission you Shocking. might men- remember I do I do yeah. I do I do so, but uh, but I also know as uh, Susan when whenever we discuss this issue we inevitably will hear from somebody listening to the program I hmm. only only last year I had a couple of le- a couple of letters actually in from listeners who gave a baby up for adoption mm. in the 50s and uh, 60s and and the shame that was attached to it. Because we're talking about a, a very, very different uh, era. Mm. And terrified now, married with children of their own, terrified that somebody is going to knock on their door and go, hi, I'm your long last son or daughter. Well, do you know, in 20 years of doing this, I don't know an adopted person who's knocked on anybody's door. And our official policy is to encourage people, if they do identify their natural parents or or siblings, that they would write a letter in the first instance um, and perhaps engage in in a correspondence with with their relative to to begin with. Um, But I think if we, if we, I don't want to say, if we encourage that sense of shame, I think... I think it's a dangerous road to take because this is an opportunity to free anybody who feels that sense of shame or guilt from those feelings. Um, and, you know, I, I know, I'm delighted to say I know Philomena Lee very well now and her daughter Jane. And, you know, anybody who saw the film will, will recall, you know, the sense of relief that Phil felt when she confided in her daughter Jane that, She'd had an, uh, a previous child, and but that he'd been trafficked to the to the U. Well, she didn't realise at that stage he'd been trafficked to the to the US, and and that is this that is the common thread I hear from from parents, um, sometimes directly, sometimes via their adopted children that or their children who were, who were taken for adoption. That you know, there's this huge relief because. If any of us have experienced grief in our lives, you know, be it a parent, a sibling, God forbid, a child, you know, you would, I think most of us would wake up many days thinking of that person. Now, I can't imagine what it would be like to have had a child taken away from you and never to know what happened to them, yeah. how and, their fortune Yeah, and, and you know, when, when you say you've never, you've never known anyone to knock on somebody's door, I'm over 31 years doing uh, this programme and I've never been contacted by somebody to say, oh God, you won't yeah. believe what happened. But I have over the years had countless numbers of birth mothers, not, not so much fathers, birth mothers, desperate for that, would love the idea that they'd get a knock on the door. I'm so glad, I'm so glad you said that because what most people don't realise is that far from offering privacy to to the mothers, the mothers were illegally required, coerced, forced, bullied, blackmailed, whatever, into signing a form upon their release from the mother and baby home saying that they swore never to contact their their child, their, you know, who is now adopted or trafficked to the U.S., whatever. So it's, I mean, it's, it, it makes you really stand back and admire spin doctors, how they've managed to turn that on its head and pretend that natural mothers were given this, this promise of secrecy. But a promise of secrecy, I mean, let's say I, let's say I had had a child when I was 14, right? Um, and I didn't really want anybody knowing that. I mean, let's say I'm now, well, in my 50s. 
And I think, God, that was really, that was awful. I had a child when I was 14. Um, again, I can't hide that from the world because that birth will have been registered. And civil registration has been part and parcel um, of, of the workings of Irish society and, and government since the 1800s. So we don't have anonymous births in this country. And, you know, I, I would say this is a wonderful opportunity to actually turn the spotlight on government, on on various churches, who forcibly removed children from their mothers and their families. And we should be using phrases like forced family separation in the same way that the Magdalene Laundry's investigations gave us the phrase enforced disappearance. So it, it is time to turn the spotlight on people who are really guilty of having committed, I would, I would say, well, I think we can all say they committed crimes because for a country that recognised the sanctity of the family, albeit just the marital family, well, we certainly took the opposite stance for the non-marital family. Okay, and uh, yeah, and this is the chance to to get it right. I don't know if you if you mm. can answer this or not, but one of our listeners has been on to say this is in regards to her grandson. Mm-hmm. Her grandson was born uh, outside of marriage. I, it just sounds so alien even to say it that. Does. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, um, recently her grandson has been asking mm. her who is his dad. Now, yeah. uh, Granny knows who dad is. He's a, he's a man who lives uh, nearby, but his mother told her. 21 years ago, his father is dead. But Granny knows that the man is alive. And she's she's wondering, what would your advice be? Should Granny tell the son, actually, your dad is alive and he lives down the road? Oh, absolutely. You know, secrets and lies, they they hurt people, they damage people. Um, I I think she certainly should. but, But should perhaps maybe, you know, lead that um, that admission with, well, you know, he's not necessarily, he's not going to welcome you with open arms or um, his family won't necessarily do so either. Um, and, and the problem is for, for that young man is that um, his father's name would have been more than likely uh, left off the, his Yeah, it wouldn't cert. be on the birth cert, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. non-marital fathers' names are not automatically entered. They actually have to present themselves and say, yes, it's okay if my name goes on the birth cert. Um, no, and, you, and you know what I'm also thinking of? Something you said earlier in this interview. I mean, I, d- I don't know where this lady is calling us from or part of the city or mm-hmm. county, but she'd be guaranteed that everybody around knows exactly who that oh, young fellas dad is. Of course, of course. You know, and it, I mean, we all know just how small um, Ireland is. And it's important for that young man. Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's, he's going to be having a relationship with his father any day soon. But if he is, if he's growing up around the corner from his father, the, his chances of dating blood relatives are extremely high. Um, so for that reason alone, he should, you know, endeavour to establish and exactly Susan, who he is. has that happened? It has actually. Um, we, I, I can only recall one such case where it happened. Uh, it turned out that this uh, this couple who had their own children were were actually half siblings, and you know, in, in in a country so small as Ireland, that that was bound to happen. 
and the very the carelessness with which our lineages were recorded and not only our mother's names on our birth certs. Um, as we often say, racehorses have a better sense yeah. of identity than adopted people. It wasn't like that they all had the Immaculate Conception and there was no, mm. man, there was no man involved. Just on yeah. your own um, personal level, if, and you know, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But no, that's did fine. you, have you traced your own mother and the circumstances? Well, yeah, well, actually, I'm one of the very lucky ones that I traced when made contact with my mother in the 1980s. Because at that stage, the um, the adoption agencies had forgotten about the crimes and misdemeanors of their predecessors. So when I turned up at an adoption agency, I'd previously had, inf- you know, basic information on my mother. And then about a year later, I went back and I said, I really would like to meet her. And they found her very quickly. She was still living at the same address. And thankfully, she agreed to meet me. So we had... Um, we had a distant relationship because I moved to England a few years later. But whenever I was back in Ireland, we, we would meet up. Now, I was her only child. She never married, never had any more children. Um, and I hope it did give her some comfort, you know, to, to, to know me. It certainly gave me huge comfort. Now, um, Fast forward to the year 2001, after my natural mother died, um, and I wanted to trace my natural father. Now, it had been a taboo subject with her, so it was a kind of bit of a poison chalice. She would only continue to meet me if we didn't talk about my father. So once, once she'd passed away relatively young age, actually, in her 60s, um, I thought, well, well I, I'm going to pursue this now. It took me 14 years to establish who my father was, and it took me another uh, three years to establish who my siblings were. Now, um, two of them live in Canada, one lives in Germany. And for me to have been denied the relationship with my siblings just I mean, it does, thankfully, we now enjoy a great relationship, but it does some days break my heart. I know, all those last years. Yeah. And what about your dad? Unfortunately, he had passed, he had already, something of a consolation, he had passed away before I started looking for him. But had he died in that, you know, in that you know, 14-year period when the Adoption Authority of Ireland, when St. Patrick's Guild were refusing to give me information, I would have, I think I would have imploded. And was he aware of you? Did he know? Um, I think he was, actually, yes. Uh, Reading between the lines, I I think he was. All right, well, this is a chance for the government to uh, get it right, uh, Susan. Listen, pleasure as always uh, to talk to you. Thank you you for that. And uh, look after yourself. God bless. Uh, bye bye. That okay. is uh, the wonderful Susan Lone, who is with the Adoption Rights Alliance. Uh, 0862103103. Text and WhatsApps are open. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Court today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, listeners, been on to us listening to my interview in the last hour with Susan Lone.
of the uh, Adoption Rights Alliance to say hi Patricia the lady who you had on Susan uh, Lone kept st- kept talking about the mother and baby homes from the 50s, 60s and 70s. Well, I was in one of those places in the 80s. Remember, they didn't actually close until the 1990s. But I'm wondering, will I be included in the redress scheme because I was an inmate in the 80s? Absolutely, you'll be included. The redress scheme, which is, is it's now up and running. Actually, I might get on to John Paul uh, because I know we, we did a piece the time that it was announced that this redress was going to be set up. But I've just done a quick Google search during the news that at 12 and all the information is up online so I'm assuming now it's open to applicants and any pregnant woman who was a resident in a mother and baby or a county home for any period of time and it doesn't matter what the year whether it was right back to the 40s and 50s or right up to the 80s or 90s uh, including those under the age of 18 are entitled to financial redress under this scheme. Uh, the, the only ones that are not, and I know this was the bone of contention at the time, any infant who was in a mother and baby home for a period of six months, under six months, they unfortunately are not entitled to any redress under this scheme. And then the payment is based on the length of time somebody was in the mother and baby home at the county home, for example, if a, if a mother was there less than three months, the that's the lowest payment. That is five thousand euro, and then it goes up sort of pro rata. After that, like between three and six months, it goes up to ten thousand, right up to if anybody spent ten years, which is the maximum uh, payout, it's up to uh, sixty five thousand euro for being in the county home or the mother and baby home Um, and then if they worked there's an extra 60,000 on top so if you just google the redress the mother and baby redress scheme it's all there up online but yes even though you were there in the 80s yes you still very much are entitled to financial redress under the current scheme now a number of people have been on to us about the what we mentioned earlier when I was when Elaine, one of our listeners, contacted us in the Blackpool area and said she never goes out out walking unless she is carrying with her her personal alarm and if anyone comes close to her and she's feeling anyway nervous she presses the personal alarm that's the sound that it makes and it's much louder than that when you're up close and personal. I've had some reaction on that including somebody who was actually sent on a link from Amazon to those personal alarms. They're called personal alarms for women but of course they can be used by men as well. And this listener says when I first moved out of home it's about 30 years ago my mother gave me one of these. She at the time called it a rape alarm. She said every woman and man should carry one if they're out and about on their own and they're very cheap to buy on Amazon. And this listener was sent on a link they're called personal alarms for women, three pack, reusable, police approved, and you can get three of them for this is pound sterling, obviously eleven ninety nine, or you can get a five pack for seventeen ninety nine pounds sterling. And I'd love to know if we could find an Irish company selling them as well, but they certainly are available. And a number of other people saying, "Yet yeah, Elaine is right; they never go anywhere without one of those in their hands." But listen to this. Listen to this one. Text in saying, "Hi Patricia. Firstly, my condolences to Ashley Murphy's family, relatives, and friends. My blood is boiling to think that that poor crater went out for a run." last Wednesday and to meet that evil monster. Let me tell you, I don't care what the law is in this country. I always carry 
pepper spray with me. Yes, I know, before anybody jumps in, I know it's illegal, but if it protects me, when well, that's all I care about. Let the law do whatever they want after that if I end up having to use it. The justice system, I feel here, is a joke. And yes, I did have this pepper spray mailed to me from Germany, where you can buy it. No ifs, ands or buts, please. This is so sad that I feel I have to carry this with me when I take a walk alone. But by having this in my hand, obviously in my pocket, I feel it protects me. And do you know, and that's a female listener who says, please don't call out my name for obvious reasons, and I won't. And I'd say you're actually not on your own. I heard following Ashley's tragic death last murder last Wednesday. I did hear people say, is that something that the government, do we need to look at? Do we need to look at the introduction of pepper spray and allowing people to carry pepper spray or is there another side of it? Would it get out of hand if people were going around with uh, pepper spray? Michael, thank you for your text. Michael says, I feel there should be more Garda patrols, more Garda out on the beat in our towns and our cities. Surely that will act as a deterrent. No point having Garda sitting in Garda stations doing paperwork. They should be out and about either sitting in Garda cars or they should be out walking the beat. That is a call to 0818103103. We also have discussed the lotto and the fact that we had a lotto win. Winning tickets sold in Castlebar. Record-breaking 19.6 million euro jackpot win. Fidelma says, I don't think I'll ever do the lottery again. How lucky was a on a must-win draw that somebody would finally match the six numbers and yet it hasn't happened for, what, over seven months. All feels a bit strange to our Fidelma. She thinks it's all a bit of a coincidence and she very much agrees with what Bernard Durkin has suggested that you spread the money around. So rather than have one winner who won almost 20 million on Saturday night the, instead that should have been divvied up and given to well would you who would you have divvied it up with the 146 people who got the match 5 plus the bonus but well, what do you do with the person who got the 6 numbers as well I suppose the whole nature of the game would change if we were to go down that route uh, thanks for your call Denise and uh, John Joe in Burnford was on to us to say just to let people know scam calls seems to be a lot of scam calls this morning isn't there a full did John Paul tell me there's a full moon I don't know if ever full moon affects the scam call or not uh, he said one about the visa saying there was something wrong with his visa or his, his visa is about to be cancelled just be careful folks on any phone call that you're picking up at the moment there seems to be a number of them doing the rounds we are going to be talking in this hour about mobile phone and mobile phone reception and I can already see calls and texts coming in from people here's an example morning Patricia hope you had a lovely weekend I did nice quiet one I live in Lismire which is not far from Canturk we have almost zero coverage none inside in my house in order for me to pick up anything on my phone I have to leave my phone on the windowsill in the kitchen it's the only place in the house that I can get a little bit of coverage. By the way, I've tried all of the providers and I'm afraid it just seems to be non-existent in our lovely countryside uh, setting and others giving similar stories. Listen, I've spoken with people. There was one person, I'm sure they were somewhere up around the Charleville area and I remember whenever she used to ring the programme, 
she used to be nearly hanging out the window trying to get a mobile phone reception. And the problem with that is, for this listener, she gets, if she leaves the phone on the windowsill, she'll get a reception. But then if you pick up the call, you can be in the middle of a call and the phone will go down. And that's so frustrating for the person on the on the call, but it's also equally frustration for somebody for somebody trying to get through to you as well. And I wonder for that reason is it that, that some people, so many people, are still hanging on to landlines. They have no choice. Many people uh, over the years have gotten rid of landlines. It's a way of kind of saving money. You know, do you need a landline and do you need a mobile? You, you certainly need a landline if you haven't got good mobile phone coverage. So if you have any other story to sh- to to share on mobile phone uh, coverage, Jill says, Patricia, hello, phone coverage very bad also I can't get broadband and I'm three miles west of McCroom on the N22 road and it does seem to be that area of kind of Do Hollow and North Cork that seems to be and is, is actually the area we're going to be focusing on in a couple of minutes also seeing some questions coming in for Annalise Drissel a nutritional therapist get your questions in for Annalise as well please John Paul take, is taking the calls at 0818 103 103 you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Now there's a couple of clothes collections going on raising money for local causes There is a clothes collection to raise funds for the Marion Hall car park Now it's continuing right across this week half six to seven forty-five p.m tomorrow night and again on Thursday evening and then next Saturday half 2 to 4pm they're looking for used items any kind of used clothes, shoes, bags bedding, towels, all welcome no duvets or pillows please, that's for Ballinhasic and then there is a clothes collection at Gagan Hall now they're asking people just to get their items together here because this is not happening until Saturday week the 29th of January in Gagan Hall half 10 in the morning until 12 noon for drop-off of all your unwanted men's, women's and children's clothing. They're also taking shoes, belts, bags, sheets, duvet covers and curtains and towels. Now they're, collect- they're also taking donations of soft toys because many of those collections don't take soft uh, toys. No plastic ones, please. And as with the previous clothes collection, no duvets are pillows. And that particular clothes collection is in aid of Gagan Hall Car Park Fund. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter- Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Members of the council's Canturk and Mallow Municipal District have complained that in recent weeks many parts of Western Duhallow have seen their mobile phone coverage become poor or in some cases even non-existent and the members have now asked the communications regulator Comreg to investigate. Councillor Bernard Moynihan joins me with more on this issue. Good morning to you Bernard. Good morning Patricia. And Good I morning to your listeners. Listeners. Uh, I have to say, from the minute I mentioned you were coming on, that I'm, we're, we're inundated with people sharing stories about poor mobile phone coverage. Has coverage always been poor in well, some of these areas, or is it a new issue? Well, to be honest, it, it has always been of the poorer variety, but the amount of people that contacted me in the last while about uh, non-existent mobile phone coverage in Rock Chapel, Meeling, Toil East, down into Foyle, Betty Desmond, Knocknagree, parts of Kishkame have no coverage whatsoever. And I, I give you an example. If you travel from County Hall to Charleville, from that road, County Hall, out as far as Charleville, you've got about 15% of the route where you have mobile phone coverage. So, you know, it's a, it's a crucial and vital tool now for people, and especially in COVID times, to have mobile phone coverage and to have proper mobile phone coverage. And we have written to Cumrag, as you've outlined there in your intro, and we've also, um, you know, I was heartened by the level of support I got from other councillors. You may have the article in front of you, but when I raised the issue, I thought it was just an issue that was relevant to my own area. But every single councillor practically in the Kentrock Manor Municipal District came in in support of the motion. Now, we have written to Cumrag, and we've put the case strongly to them, and we've also written to the mobile phone providers, you know, the different companies who are providing mobile phones, it's a crucial, crucial tool in, in, in the modern world we live in. And a lot of older people have those phones, you know. I, I noticed from visiting people in nursing homes and hospitals and stuff, they have those mobile phones which are the, the bigger numbers for to make, yeah, to manage make it them. Yeah, easier them to, to operate, yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, you'd be amazed at like, how people, when they have to learn about texts and different things, they have to learn about it because, you know, sometimes they've, you, when you've no choice but you've got to sewn into the modern way of communicating. But Patricia, like, you know, I want to, I, I, I'm looking for support as well from your membership or your listenership to kind of put pressure on the companies to do the very best they can for the people because it's very difficult, I suppose. It's very, uh, you know, people now, we, we've just come off a council meeting there where we discussed housing and there's a huge demand for one and two bedroom housing because of people being widowed or different circumstances where they may not need a three bedroom house. This morning's meeting was very vocal on more housing for people to move into towns and to have been near facilities. I suppose the most important facility you can have in the current climate is communication. Being able to communicate with your your siblings, your your children or your you know, whoever you have to communicate with on a daily basis, your home help even. Now, I have home, home helps who tell me that this coverage for, you know, when they're going into certain places is very, very poor. And with more people being asked to work from home because of the, the, pand- the pandemic, I mean, I'm assuming it's hampering people trying Absolutely. to do that. 
Absolutely, people are being expected to work from home and they need very good. That's why there's a bit of a demand out there for mobile hubs or what you call them is digital hubs now where people can move into an area which has excellent mobile phone coverage and excellent broadband because they need that from the minute they begin their work in the morning. But certainly, you know, we need to, as a council, I suppose, we need to respond to what our communities are telling us and we need to respond to what our voters are telling us, basically, that the mobile phone coverage is inadequate, non-existent. There are parts of Rock Chapel, there's no mobile phone coverage. There's parts of File, which is on the border with Betty Desmond, no mobile phone coverage. Betty Desmond, no mobile phone coverage. Go down into Coulee and all that country there, west of McCroom. You can also you can also say there's no mobile phone, phone coverage in a lot of those places. Have the mobile phone companies done work in the past to upgrade their masts, or is that what is now needed? No, they have done work now, in fairness, and they have been responding, but it needs to be improved upon. I'm not giving, you know, I'm not on here this morning to, to say to people just to be, I just want it improved upon, I want it, you know, help the, the people, the ordinary person on the ground who needs mobile phone coverage. And I did, the mobile phone now is as important as your television because, you know, some people have Facebook and they have, they're updated on a daily basis with what's on the media, what's on, you know, different things, Twitter and all that kind of business. So therefore, you know, having a mobile phone is a vital tool for connectivity. It's also good for mental health. Mm. Because if you were and, and also we would have noticed uh, working on this programme in recent years and this is to do with cost more than anything not everybody has a landline and a mobile phone a lot of people when well, they mobile phones they opted to get people yeah. have landlines because they can't afford it yeah, yeah. they're focusing exclusively on a mobile phone you so know, therefore it's vital for vulnerable people it's vital for vulnerable people to have a mobile phone that they can it's becoming it's becoming the most I suppose the most important mechanism for communication that anybody can have is have your mobile phone, have it working properly that you can communicate and people can communicate with you and contact you and that you're accessible for people you know, I'm not talking about me now I'm talking about, you know, I suppose primarily I suppose it's very unfair, in fairness, if you take place like Betty Desmond, File, Knocknagree, Cullen you take all that area, some parts of Mill Street some parts of Kish Game have no mobile phone coverage at all are you saying, did I hear you saying your listeners are responding there? By yeah, saying? yeah, people are saying, like there was somebody in, uh, not, lives not far from Liz Meyer, lives in Liz Meyer, not far from Cantork, and the only place the phone works is if she leaves it on the windowsill of the kitchen, but if she moves the phone, the signal is gone. Yeah, and Liz that's Meyer just not well. good enough. That's not that. Well. And I can hear, your, your line isn't great today, so I'm assuming, where, where were you contacting us from this morning? No, I'm on a landline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the landline isn't great. What about broadband coverage? Is there an issue with that? Well, I'm not getting that now, to be fair. I'm not getting broadband coverage. I'm getting an awful lot of uh, of stuff about mobile phone coverage. Okay. Because the broadband coverage, a lot of people are able to bring in companies and improve their their situation. Is my line bad this morning? Yeah, it was it was crackling a bit. It's, it's a bit better there. It might have been just the wire. It was, it's a bit crackly. Uh, Margaret says, I live between Lambertstown and Bantier. I have to go outside my front door to get a reception and to make a phone call is very annoying. That's just yeah, not, that's just not good enough. the Bantier area as well. There's a lot of, most of, a lot of the Bantier area that I would be aware of. It's very poor. There's very poor mobile phone coverage there. So like, I, I, the problem here, if you go to Mallow, you go to Cantor, you go to Cork City, you have 100% mobile phone coverage. That's because the population is there and the companies are focused on getting it in there as 100%. But my, my situation is people living in re- remote rural areas who don't have mobile phone coverage. I, I 
don't want to be using this attack, this attack in rural Ireland or rural Ireland are being left behind. But I, uh, for rural Ireland to survive, prosper and thrive, they need to have full, full whack of the mobile phone. But, they, but therein lies the problem, doesn't it, Bernard? And I'm fearful that's what the mobile phone companies are going to say when they get back to you. Are they going to say there isn't the population base there well, to absolutely. justify us investing, to justify us making profits? Because at the well, end of the day, that's what it's all about. That's why I'm raising the issue, Patricia, and, and I'm raising the issue on, in that exact context. If you're providing top-class mobile phone coverage for the town of Mallow or the town of Cantork, Liz Meyer is within five miles, less than five miles, I suppose three miles from Cantork, and they don't have mobile phone coverage in Liz Meyer. So explain to us why, says you. Exactly. Yeah, OK. So we will await. So you've written to Comreg and awaiting a response. Well, no, well, uh, following my motion to Cork County Council, the council have written to Comreg and okay. they've written to the mobile phone companies. OK, we, we, we will wait with uh, interest. And I apologise to you and to your listenership if my coverage is poor. No, it's perfect now. It must have been, could have been just a wire on the phone. And listen, Bernard, just while I have you on the line, the, the latest on the, the, the long-awaited installation of traffic calming measures at Ballymcourt Cross that we've often spoken to you about on the programme. What's the latest on that? Well, the latest there is it's was on Lord Planala and it's gone past the stage where anybody can object to it and we're waiting patiently for Lord Planala to give us the final go-ahead to go to begin the works. Brilliant, brilliant. So we we are, do you well, reckon we're within... All, we're all on the hoofs to make sure we get the right result of the Lord Planala and hopefully it will and it's, all the indications are that they'll be able to begin the work practically immediately that they've been allocated and the, the deadline for the final I suppose approval is at the end of January of 2022. Okay, all right, that's fingers crossed. And I don't know, did you go to? Did you mention Charleville? Uh, did somebody's just told me you didn't buy a lottery ticket in Charleville? Did you, Bernard? <laughs> no. Somebody's just told me that Lee's Centra, Lee's Centra on Main Street in Charleville, got the news this morning. They sold one of the winning tickets of the five plus the bonus, no which way. means somebody's won thirty six thousand six hundred and eighty seven euro. Check your tickets, please. You Bernard, can contact, contact my colleague Ian Doyle. He might be with. I might be. Ian. It could well be. Ian. Listen, Bernard. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, and let us know uh, if you get an update from from Comrade. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank Good morning you. to you. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Councillor Bernard uh, Moynihan. Liam in Brewery. I think myself, anyone living alone should be entitled to a landline service for free. It's vital if you have one of those panic alarms and need to contact somebody. That's from Liam in Brewery. Hi, Patricia. If Sky can get you a picture on your television in the middle of a forest, why can't we get adequate broadband and mobile phone signal? Yeah, and a lot. Yeah, people very, very frustrated. Broadband, a a different issue completely, but that's another one that causes great um, difficulty for people. And I think the pandemic highlighted that with children homeschooling, couldn't get a decent broadband. People have been asked to work, couldn't get a decent uh, broadband. Somebody says, Patricia, Churchtown reception, non-existent. And that is most of the time. And somebody else uh, is also, Churchtown seems to be really bad because somebody says, living in Churchtown village, nothing, absolutely nothing on your mobile phone. 
0818, that's our new phone line, 103 103. If you are in an area where you can call us, please feel free to call John Paul. You can text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Going to take a break and we are back with Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, answering your nutritional questions. If you've got a question, get it in either by call to John Paul or by text or WhatsApp. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. GoSomega.com And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic joining me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Let's get straight into questions from uh, listeners. Tom, he is suffering from what he describes as cracks on his tongue. He said they look a little bit like mouth ulcers. He's tried putting Bongella but it's not doing the trick. Would Annalise have any recommendations for him please? Okay so it could be a couple of different things like there is a a deficiency of a B vitamin that causes cracks and the tongue, the tongue might look swollen be a bit red. It's actually called glossitis um, is the name of the, uh, the problem with the tongue. So I'd say the first thing to do is take a vitamin a vitamin B supplement and see does that solve the issue. In the meantime, you could do something with the mouth called oil pulling. Now, this is great for anything. It's great for the health of the mouth overall. But if you have dry mouth, if you have Dorgren syndrome, it's great for that. If you have um, thrush in the mouth, it's great for that. If, you, if you're prone to mouth ulcers, it's another good thing to do. So what you do is get a good quality oil. You can use olive oil from the kitchen, Coconut oil is brilliant because there is a substance in coconut oil as well that's very good for kind of cleansing and getting rid of yeasts and bacteria in the mouth. And you put about a tablespoon of the oil into your mouth and you literally swish it around your mouth for five or ten minutes and then spit it out. It's something called oil pulling and it is very good at just great for creating a good environment for healthy bacteria in the mouth but it's lovely for moistening and softening the tissue in the mouth as well. So that could be something else to try. The next thing I'd say is if you've changed your toothpaste recently or started using a new mouthwash, maybe you're reacting to that. So take a look at that. And a lot of people, especially with mouth ulcers, Patricia, are allergic to the sodium lauryl sulfate, which is put into toothpastes and mouthwash products. So switching to a natural toothpaste without sodium lauryl sulfate in so many cases clears up recurrent mouth ulcers. And I know my own family, my one of my nieces, if she uses even normal toothpaste for one or two nights in a row, she'll come out in mouth ulcers. So it, you can be very allergic to that. And then the final thing I would say possibly is that it might be maybe a little bit of reflux. So maybe at night time you're having some acid that's coming up from the stomach and it's hurting and damaging the mouth. So if you think that's the problem, it's the stomach you treat rather than the mouth. Yeah, and I can identify with all of that. I have one particular brand of toothpaste and it's the only only one that I can use. If I change it all, I'll get the mouth ulcers. I do that oil pulling as well. I find the coconut oil because the taste is nicer. Yes, absolutely. I find the coconut oil great. Yes, it's, it's brilliant great. to do. And you can 
put it in hard as well, Patricia, so it's not, and let it melt in the mouth. Yeah, and then melting. and then use it. It's it's terrific. And then about 10, 15 minutes, just to remember to do it more than anything. It's usually when my mouth starts to play up, I keep on, oh, I haven't done oil pulling in a while and, and, and I'll do it. Okay, a question for Annalise, please. Would you have any suggestions for what to do about weak legs? One, one in particular can actually almost go from under this person. They have been diagnosed with osteoporosis. That's from Anne. Okay, could be any number of things there, Patricia, really, and it might even be on sort of a nutritional issue. It could be more a structural issue. So a lot of people who'd have trapped nerves or spinal issues um, where the nerve is impeded going down into the leg would get a weak leg all of a sudden. It would be like the leg would go under from under them. Um, and that is an issue with a trapped nerve where the nerves are not getting a good blood supply or whatever that nourish them. Uh, the other thing it could be there is... Um, a, a syndrome where your muscles are weak and that would be a very common issue with that whereas all of a sudden your muscles just give way and you can fall um, so supporting good muscle health by having a diet that's got good quality protein in there in the form of lean meat, fish, chicken eggs, all your pulses nuts and seeds that's very important to keep your muscles healthy magnesium is another one that's very important for the contraction of muscles and um, calcium is another one very important for muscles as well we often think of calcium and bones but between calcium and magnesium it, they play a huge role in nervous system function and the passing on of the nerve signal but also in, in, in muscle contraction and relaxation so have a look at those in the diet um, you could also maybe use a magnesium rub to see if that was the issue, you know, make sure that there's plenty of magnesium in the muscle tissue of the legs. I find that the spray and the gel are very good because um, the gel particularly is, is, is very easy to apply. Um, iron deficiency could be another issue as well, Patricia. And then maybe it is an issue with bones. So for healthy bones, for osteoporosis and osteopenia, you do need calcium, which if you don't get it in your diet, you may need to supplement. But really important is vitamin D, vitamin K2 to get the calcium out of your blood onto your bones. And then things like maybe vitamin C, boron is important as well. So a good comprehensive bone supplement might help too. Okay, hi. Question for Annalise, please. I recently had a C-section and I lost a lot of blood. Could Annalise recommend a vitamin to try to get energy levels back up? Yeah, I'd definitely do something with iron in it if you've lost a lot of blood because iron is very important to make your red blood cells. Um, and also try and get one with a vitamin B12 and folate in it too because, again, they're very important for making blood. But, it's um, you know, a C-section will take an awful lot out of you and it does take time to recover as well. Um, you probably are better off taking a multivitamin that has, is, is designed particularly for prenatal or breastfeeding and then maybe taking an extra iron supplement on top of that. You could also, if you liked, just eat liver a couple of times a week because that's one of the best, most nutritious sources of iron. Um, it gets into the system in the way that we can utilize it best. Um, so or even just red meat, uh, you know, make sure you increase that in the diet to get that into you. And then again, make sure you're very well hydrated because if you're making, ex, you know, blood to replace the blood you've lost, you're going to need to be very well hydrated. Um, and then I would say for anybody who is at a C-section as well, to make sure that you're getting plenty of vitamin C in the diet and taking something like collagen might help that scar tissue heal better, quicker and without less um, keloid scarring. 
um, rub in a good vitamin E oil into the area as well. Interesting when you mentioned liver I got a flashback to my childhood we used to eat liver and my mother Lord Timerson used to make well, like an onion gravy with it and really creamy mashed potato and it was just gorgeous Too many people eat liver today? Not anymore Patricia and if you what say pity. liver to most people I love liver yeah. and I love it exactly like that fried in the pan with a bit of olive oil and the oil smell when it's cooking yeah. is, is just gorgeous Yeah, I wonder so too. let's throw that out do many people eat liver anymore let us know uh, now we're back to COVID morning Patricia could I ask Annalise please for advice on what I can start taking or doing to alleviate long COVID. I've gone from a relatively healthy 46-year-old woman who walked daily, was always active, to a 46-year-old woman who's exhausted all of the time. I'm depressed, I'm introverted, I'm wheezy, I'm breathless, even though I never suffered from any respiratory problems before COVID. I contracted COVID last October. God help her. Shocking, isn't it? Well, it's at the moment, Patricia, because so many people have COVID, we're seeing it a lot. So we've had a good experience now of what can work and what can't work. And that is the very extreme case of long COVID. And she's very unlucky because generally, um, you know, people get past that feeling after maybe two to four weeks uh, and start feeling their energies come back. So I think if I start off, what... What I would recommend for people who are suffering from a bit of fatigue after COVID or any other viral illness, like there was another um, viral illness around, a bronchial illness around this winter that took an awful lot out of people. Um, it affected the chest and causes bronch- caused a lot of bronchitis. So generally after a virus like that, to bring your energies up, we recommend either the Revive Active are the Source of Life Gold tonic. Now, the Source of Life Gold is brilliant, but not available at the moment, unfortunately. It's out of stock with the supplier and has been for about a month. If you can get your hands on it, great. But otherwise, the Revive Active is great because there is about seven ingredients that are specifically designed to improve your energy pathways in your tissues. So that's a great one for the post-viral fatigue. So I'd recommend that for everybody. Then if you're still struggling... Uh, with your chest, I recommend two things. One is N-acetylcysteine. Um, and again, this has become very hard to get. It's in quite short supply because it was a big COVID one and for preventing and treating COVID symptoms. Um, and that is great for any kind of respiratory issue, especially if you're still very mucousy in your lungs. The next thing then is the Dr. Delish Clare Mucotone. So there's a few different things in that for the chest, if you're still wheezy. The stuff that boosts the immune system but also nourishes the the tissue of the lungs so that's another good one and then the final thing i would say is something like olive leaf extract so olive leaf extract is mostly kind of given as a natural antibacterial antiviral but there are so many other things there's such strong antioxidant properties in it that it's great if there's kind of fatigue in cells i think it supports that and i know myself whenever i've taken it for immune function to kind of get myself back on top. I always feel so vital. I feel like a great burst of energy on it myself. So that would be the full treatment and the full combination for somebody that, like that particular listener now. So we were talking there about either the Revive Active or the Source of Life Gold, N-acetylcysteine and the Mucotone if you still have residual chest issues and the Olive Leaf Extract. Okay, Irene from Thorless says, just to let Annalise know, I took her advice and took the Source of Life Gold. Uh, after a month, I noticed a huge difference. I found mornings very tough, just always quite tired, lack of mo- motivation. But the Source of Life Gold has really given me a boost. But it did take a month to kick in. And it does seem to take the month, doesn't it? it 
you know what, Patricia? It's far. It, it depends on everybody. Like the if if you're very low, it's going to take time for your system to recover, and that's what I think we all think. You know that we can't be sick for very long, but a bad flu and COVID is seems to be worse in terms of post-viral fatigue. It takes four to six weeks to recover from, and so sleep and everything else is part of that. So for some people, absolutely, they may even need a second month of it to really get themselves back going up up and going again. I take it often as a tonic just for flagging energy, but I do find then for me it kicks in in about, uh, you know, less than a week because I'm getting the boost from the ginseng straight away. But then you see my levels wouldn't be very low. So it's like everything, natural medicine, you know, it's going to work brilliantly very quickly for some people and some people are going to need more. Okay, and uh, final one, mucus. What would you suggest to get rid of mucus? So it depends why the mucus is there. So if it's as a, as a result of a cough or cold um, infection, then you can't beat the Dr. Care mucotonin. It used to be called the chest and sinus blend, as you all well know in there, Patricia, you've tried it, hated it, but loved it yeah. at the same time. So that is fantastic for chesty mucus as a result of viral infection or cough and cold. But if you're producing a lot of mucus that's in a nasal drip um, or if it's kind of all year round, then you're probably reacting to something um, allergically that, and that's why you're producing so much mucus. So different things work well for that. Ivy thyme is great for kind of drying up mucus. Um, also, if it's an allergic type of mucus, you know, if it's, if, if it's worse kind of in summer months or uh, coming into winter months when it gets very damp, so that could be either pollen or mould creating that allergy. Then taking something like a natural antihistamine would work. Stinging nettle is very good. Quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, is also very good. And interestingly, actually, um, that quercetin product, Patricia, is being used a lot for post-COVID and long COVID, where a lot of people have got very a lot of allergic sort of symptoms. So they have they there's a lot of similarity between what they call mast cell activation syndrome, where people are very runny nose, very histamine all the time, and long COVID. So it does seem to be that something gets turned heightened in a response after COVID. So if you're getting those symptoms, quercetin is a very good one. Um, great for hay fever as well. <laughs> and then finally, the plantago, if you feel it's a lot in your head or if it's in your ears, that's a great herb for that. Okay, and you'll put up all of this on your website, healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio. It Thank is. you for that, Annelise. Thanks, Patricia. Right. Just, it's in the blog section on the website. In the blog. We're looking at it. Thanks, all right. Thank Patricia. you for Bye. that. Bye-bye. And as always, John Paul uh, puts up a podcast of the slot that we did with Annelise Drissel, the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig. Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. GoSomega.com. That's where I leave it for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. To that, Patricia Messenger, very good afternoon. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.